to another edition of We the Arsenal with your hosts, as always, Adam Esker and Johnny Fieldhouse. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. It is a pleasure to have you back for episode 24 of We the Arsenal. And what times we find ourselves in. You know, for the past few days, I've been trying to understand and how to feel about this current situation at Arsenal. And uh, sometimes I laugh at myself for taking things as seriously as I do, but I think that just comes from being so closely associated to something that I love, you know? Yeah, it's like with anything in in life that you love, you're going to be invested in it. Uh, Myself, I've been invested now in this club fully for approximately, what, 10 years now? That's, That's a lot of time to invest into anything, and I'm sure there are people out there listening who have invested far more for far longer than I. And it's one of those things that we have in our lives. It's a piece of us. I know that I could never stop following this club, no matter how bad things got. If we even got relegated, I would still follow the Arsenal because this club is in is in my heart. It's in my soul now. I think the challenges stem from the manner in which these sort of things have been happening. And I've been wondering and thinking about the ideology that has been Arsenal, uh, especially when you look back at the era and the times of Ian Wright. And I am reading his autobiography right now. And I, I look at the Arsenal that once was, away from all this mega money ambitions or lack thereof, well, ambitions financially, but not really much on the pitch. It depends on what club you're looking at. And I just look at Arsenal as a club now that's seemingly a bit lost in terms of what its identity is, where it has come from. And, I mean, I've even seen something on the the site recently. They're trying to bring up the story of that tackle Colo Toure made on Arsene Wenger during the training some time ago. And they're trying to tickle on the nostalgia. And, I mean... We are very fortunate in a way that we are looking at it from this outside perspective on this side of the pond. But how hard it must be for those people who are traveling week in, week out, not just home, but those going away. Yeah, we're talking about our vested interest. Um, It doesn't compare to what our traveling fans have gone through. They travel hours sometimes four or five hours just for one match day for two maybe two and a half hours of watching your team play and then they make that five-hour journey back home and that's where I can understand a lot of the the vitriol that is going on right now uh, within the Goonerdom I sympathize because I myself have a, a few teams that I follow. But you look at a lot of the Gooners who live in London or the surrounding areas, I doubt many of them follow any of the other sports. I myself am a massive Jays fan. I love the Leafs. And I, I really like the Raptors as well. So we've got three of the local community teams that I that I follow, but none of them compare to my love for Arsenal. But it's like my sporting heart is is divided. Sure, the the biggest chunk of that is is toward the red and white, but 
it's nowhere near what the level of dedication and uh, love that someone who travels home and away must share for the for the club. Mm-hmm. Well, in my case, it's it's a little different because I don't have any real close associations with any other sport. And that's the thing that I find intriguing. The second closest sport that I I can say I really enjoy is hockey. I have so much respect for that sport. Um, but when it comes to football, that's just uh, that's just what is me in, in many ways. And having done it already and wanting to do it again, it's just I, I see the effort and the time it takes to, to dedicate uh, a life to it. And I would understand if, if going to Liverpool and if we were to, let's say, I mean, even if losing 3-0 but fighting our heart out, but just the manner in which we kind of capitulated, I think, is is an ongoing theme, which really seems to to hit home harder and harder. And we might just have to get used to these sorts of results. Um, I mean, we already should have. But the problem stems from the idea that this summer is the catalyst for change or last season was the catalyst for change. And I'm, I'm wondering what is the point of what this club is trying to do now. Because even if it wasn't successful, there was an idea there. There was a way of being. This was a club you're coming to that you have a certain feel at that you couldn't get at other clubs. And then when Arsenal became successful, I think that's when those ideologies, those traditions, those thoughts came true finally, right? And at such a blessed time. Yeah, we we've been lucky to see some great times within the club, but you look at the past history of our once uh how it, it, I even stopped myself from saying that, but our once great club because can we truly be considered great in in these dark times? And we're not just talking about the most recent fixture against Liverpool with that whole capitulation, the embarrassment, the lack of heart, the lack of leadership, the lack of accountability. But it seems like it's been building, building and building. We've had multiple capitulations within the past few years. Uh, Just even recently in in our podcasting history, we started... Uh, mid-season last year and we had so many markers and our team constantly disappointed us with every single marker and here we are three games into the Premier League season and we have another embarrassing loss like you mentioned losing 3-0 but if it was a hard-fought 3-0 then it you could take away some sort of solace from it but when you lose the way that we did when you give up goals the way that we have that one Salah goal um, where we had that corner and he just took it off Bellerin and just ran unimpeded and scored a very nice finish. However, that was a perfect microcosm of the state of our club now. And there really is only one person that we can put the blame on that. And it's not like I want to blame, 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 but... In my opinion, the leaders are the ones that take responsibility for everything. And you look at our club, we have a lack of leadership, not only on the pitch, but a lack of leadership in the boardroom. And there is only one man 
that this responsibility is falling on, and that is Arsene Wenger. And his failure to be a leader at the times that matter are really coming to the forefront. I know in years past we've had uh, really strong characters in the locker room, but if you don't have those strong characters to self-police themselves, you are you are leaving your squad rudderless. And I feel that's where we are right now. We're rudderless. That Salah goal, I haven't seen a goal scored like that since the early 2000s where a defense could be pushed so high up the pitch and a striker can have the freedom of the whole field to run by. And you're you're right in a, in a way because of how you see it as a microcosm of, of a lot of our problems. I think the microcosm of a lot of our problems also was the first 20 minutes of that match where Liverpool had all the possession and our Arsenal are against the wall from the off. And we I knew right away from those first opening 10 minutes that there was no game plan. And back to Ian Wright's autobiography, the thing that changed Arsenal as a club and modern football at that time was Arsene Wenger going in there and changing uh, the approach and letting players figure things out on their own. And I think he's taken that ideology and that behavior and he has not changed from it. And at a time when Arsenal had the youngest players, he wanted them to figure things out on them on their own. Back in 06, 07, 08, when he let the older players go, wanted to build the young team. But that's when you need to have guidance. You need to be able to go to a big, monstrous place like Old Trafford, even if you're not ready for the season, and actually play with a bigger backline and try to prepare for what's to come. And I think just the lack of preparedness stems from the idea that Arsene Wenger hasn't really come into matches with certain game plans only when it came down to it. You look at going at three at the back. He was thinking about doing that in November of last year. Yeah. And he didn't do it. He didn't feel like he needed to. Um, You think of the... um, uh, when uh, we had that very defensive season, I think it was 2012, 2013, uh, where I think Steve Bold was finally the one who said he he was the one to take charge. And we never grew from that. We ended up going back to the same thing. Even this season, where we saw the, the three at the back idea, and it, it seemed to really work until the end of last season, and we and it doesn't seem like it's known how to be implemented anymore. Well, you look at the team that played against Liverpool, there weren't too many changes from the team that won the FA Cup against Chelsea. And to circle back on what you're talking about with preparation, one of my favorite quotes that I have really internalized uh, in my role in whether it's my day job or um, with my upcoming gig with uh, the film festival is that People don't rise to the occasion. They fall to their highest level of preparation. And you can totally see within our squad that they are not prepared. They are left to their own devices. They are left to figure things out. And when you don't have a leadership group, whether it be the coaching staff, whether it be the players... There is a leadership void, and there has been a leadership void for for a, a few years now. And any time that you rely on youth, you sacrifice leadership and experience, 
and it goes into just human physiology. The human brain isn't fully developed until you reach 25 years old. So we've been looking in the past on relying on, or you could even say an over-reliance on talented youth. But a game plan with dedicated players will always, always, always succeed against a talented group with a lack of preparation and a lack of leadership. Talent can only get you so far. It'll get you to the wall. But you need that determination. You need that understanding of the game plan, of your role and responsibility to be able to get you over that wall. And for for too long now, we haven't been able to get over that wall. And you mentioned earlier the whole catalyst for change. Where is this catalyst for change? This mysterious force that is nowhere to be seen. And it gets supremely frustrating. So when people make fun of all of the fans yelling on Arsenal Fan TV, it's to me it's disrespectful to the the feeling of disappointment the feeling of here it goes again groundhog day and i know myself i was hoping for something different but now three games in into the premier league season it's really hard to see how we will come out of this i exactly and this is the thing though i was already sensing this at leicester that's why I wasn't really hooting and hollering full of joy after we beat them 4-3 because of the manner in which it felt all too familiar. And now it's a question of how is the club going to get out of it? And, and of course, that's the thing, right? What is this catalyst for change? But I think those are sound bites which are meant to just sort of paper over the cracks. And I think the divide between the top and the bottom, well, not the top and the bottom, but but what the boardroom is thinking and what the fans are thinking is massive. Absolutely, the chasm. The, the importance of results can't get washed away. And you look at Man City and when they were purchased and what the idea and the intent was when that club was taken over. That club was was meant to be the a kind of financial toy, but at least there was an idea to transform the club. Even though it doesn't feel natural, it still doesn't, but I've been at odds with this idea of modern-day football and what it is and how are things changing. But you look at it, and it's pretty clear to me now the, that the idea of football is kind of very financially driven. Uh, we didn't, I didn't want to look at clubs that just made money for success as something that um, was supposed to last for a while. And we were all relying on Arsenal being more of a traditionalist um existence to to sort of fall back on which is why i think i think wenger must have lost now 95 percent of the fan base now yeah i was thinking to myself um i wouldn't say i've always been a defender of arsene but i've always tried to look for reasons and uh tim stillman had a great article that uh just came out recently um titled uh does Arsene know, or or something along like along that line? I'm paraphrasing, but it's it's plain to see that there is no game plan now. We are 
papering over those cracks. The the club are releasing statements just to placate the fans. And I think that's what that whole quote-unquote catalyst for change was. It was just a quote to satiate the fan base, to quiet them down, and to halt this whole black scarf movement that was gaining momentum. And now I feel... And, and we're so early in the season, but I feel all of that pain and distress that were surrounding our club at our darkest times have now come full circle and have now not only reemerged, but reemerged with a, a vigor, with a, um, a, 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 a new power that we haven't had. And I think to myself... Who here, in listening to the show or just in, in the Arsenal Gunnardem world, who here can say that they fully believe in the manager, that he can pull us out of this, this mess that he has created himself? He's lost the dressing room, and I think it shows, because I think, and I'm going to bring up this point again, these are players from this new generation, who needed to come to a club and get some guidance. I'm talking about Shaka. I'm talking about Ramsey. How how much has Ramsey really progressed in the last eight eight years? You can say he's regressed yeah. ever since that fabled 13-14 season. Yeah. And where are things going to go? And I have to bring up this point from uh, a good friend of ours, Chris Julian from Soccerholics. Shout out Soccerholics. Yeah, and he sent me a very interesting um, tweet, uh, a number, it's a thread, from David at Campus Stability, and it comes down to the, fi- the financials, doing some research on Arsenal's financials. And uh, I'm going to just read it word for word, but he says, you're probably wondering why Arsenal don't have the money to compete big money signings. I was too. But the lack of ability to spend came from us spending too much, believe it or not, because our wage bill is so high. We can only increase it by $7 million a year, and if we want to keep Alexis slash Mezit, then we can't afford to sign any additional players. This window, we generated about $27 million in profit, but that's meaningless because of our wage bill. There are two solutions to this. One, continue as we are going and try to land Alexis slash Mezit on new contract signing one to two big players every summer while trying to get rid of the dead wood we have at the club. This method would give us more consistency throughout the next three-odd years, but winning the title would be a stretch. Don't renew the contracts of Mezit um, slash Alexis um, and contribute to try to rid the club of its deadwood. Um, you know, I, I almost want to stop there because the issues don't lie from who actually stays anymore, I think. I think it comes down to the, the how things are managed, really. I mean, it would be it, it would be fair for me to finish reading this quote. Now, I, I think I probably should, but just to take an intermission there for a quick moment. Yeah, to just touch on those few points, and I think they're extremely valid. And uh, we had this whole um, transfer. I wouldn't call it a saga, just because of the stature of the player. But with Kieran Gibbs. Uh, at first, he was rumored to be going to one club, but then did not go because they would not meet his wage demands. And I think that is a plague that is that it only stemmed from one person, Arsene Wenger, with his whole wage structure. And we ended up overpaying players who weren't in that sphere of of being of justifying 
the weekly wages that they were getting. If look at Kieran Gibbs, for example, I think he was on uh, 60K a week with us. And you look at any team in which his talent level would be you know sufficient no team is going to be willing to pay that much for a Kieran Gibbs type player and you look at not only Kieran Gibbs love the guy he's been a great servant for Arsenal but you can even start looking at Jack Wilshire you can look at Matthew Debushi you can look at all of these quote-unquote deadwood players why are they deadwood because no one wants them because of the inflated wages that they're on. And they will not take lower wages to go and earn their first team minutes. So to them, making the money is more important than playing time. And I can't blame them for that because you have to earn a living. And a professional footballer's life is so is so small and finite that you have to make the money while you can. So I can't begrudge someone for wanting to keep their wage and do less of a job. For all the listeners out there, if your employer came to you and said, listen, I'm going to pay you less, but ask you to do more, how many of you would agree to that deal? And that's essentially what we're asking all of these quote-unquote dead players to accept or dead wood players to accept. But I think that's what's happened, though. That... does happen a lot in the current workforce is where a lot of people are, are expected to take th- more things on and then to actually get into negotiations for better wages very rare whereas at arsenal i think there was an idea where the club didn't want to lose certain core players because of what they were supposed to represent so for example remember arsenal celebrating the british core yeah right and i think uh, with Gibbs and what he did at the time, I remember he had that 40 million pound tackle versus West Brom. Thank you for that, by the way. Uh, but when we beat them 3-2 to, you know, announce our uh, concurrent fourth place status in the Champions League and stuff like that. And I think uh, that was something that was celebrated. I think there were certain individual performances which um, Arson and the club were keen to not lose players because of having experienced losing Fabregas and Nazarene and Van Persie. Because back in the day, back in the times of like George Graham, and, uh, the club wasn't paying a lot either they were known to be relatively frugal with their wage bill even back before the big money football and i think players wanted to come to arsenal because of the stature that the club had but i think somewhere something got lost in between the lines where how you pay a player in the modern era got confused i think it was wenger's background and and economics that really clouded his judgment because he wasn't coming from it as a football manager. He would come at it from an economical point of view, like an economist would think, okay, um, if I'm bringing in this guy and he's demanding X, that means I'm going to have to bump up Y and Z. And to me, that, that doesn't make sense. If you have someone that is more talented than you, can do more than what you can, and they are brought into your organization, you don't say, oh, hey, this person's here. Um, They're clearly more talented than I am. However, because they're being paid this amount, now I am justified to get an increase in my wages. The real world doesn't work like that. And I think Labas has has run the economical side of arson of arsenal i even almost called it arson of arsenal as in um it's his own it's his own work cash flow it's his own 
uh, pride at stake. And I think he does take a lot of pride when it comes to uh, what he has done, what he has built. But I also think that clouds his judgment. And I really do think his background as an economist has clouded a lot of his judgment when it comes to the financials of the club. And I'm going to just continue reading the second half of this uh, thread here just to be to be on point. Um, so the second point he makes is uh, to not renew the contracts of Mezit and Alexis and contribute to try the ri- to rid the club of its deadwood. Uh, to see this would uh, make us splash about $200 million next summer without having any wage bill restrictions due to the exits of Mezit and Alexis. Uh, this would give us the opportunity to rebuild our wage structure so the likes of Theo aren't on 140k a week. That's how the problem started, exactly as we, we were just breaking down. Uh, however, this method would hurt our ability to compete for about two years or Arsene's tenure as our manager because I don't think we can compete with him as our manager. Method two would be the preferred strategy to go with just to remind everyone what those two so-called methods are, uh, with, uh, which is to continue as we're going uh, to try to land Alexis and Mezid on big contracts, signing one to two big players every summer. Or don't renew the contracts and contribute to try to rid the club of Deadwood. But it's honestly a little bit too late right now. Uh, and then just to finish off, he does, does say that um, we would be able to sign younger players to build for the future while also setting up the next manager in a brilliant position financially. United were in a similar predicament towards the end of Alex Ferguson and elected to go with option one. It worked out for them but left future managers with very poor squad uh, and there was too much deadwood to fix it. Should we go with method two? We would be able to spend about 200, 300 million next summer, whether we spend it or not is a different question. And that's the the gist of it. And I mean, to really think about it, I mean, you look at the pattern, if you look at it just from the patterns of how Arsenal have been, we've seen a little bit of change. Of course, we broke our personal little record of getting Lacazette in there. But I mean, what is he going to do on the bench, right? And I just really have to to question the next, you know, we are in the dawn of the final day. And I think whatever's to happen the next few hours is really going to outline what kind of season we're going to have. David Ornstein actually was saying that with Oxlade-Chamberlain going, Arsenal have no intention of bringing in anybody. Uh, they, it looks like it's more focused on trying to settle that sort of decision, which actually, as of speaking, it's done. There are pictures of Oxlade-Chamberlain on Liverpool TV uh, who doing his first interview, which is going to come out tomorrow when probably the transfer window gets all closed up because they've done the pictures and all that jazz. You know, on, on the topic of Oxlade-Chamberlain, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit ruthless about it. Uh, I, I think I might have said a few weeks ago that I would have rather to keep him because I'd rather have him stay. But you look at, at the efforts that was there. And I think it, it might have come down to just the position he was forced to play in. Uh, I would say the lack of effort that he displayed against Liverpool. And his transfer isn't one that I'm losing sleep on. No. It's it's something that I think is better for the club in the long run. You look at some of the wages that uh, were rumored that we were giving or offering him. £180,000 a week for Alex Oxley-Chamberlain, who has never cemented his, his role in the first team now granted uh devil's advocate would say okay well he was mismanaged and was never given that opportunity in my opinion talent and 
and the cream will always rise to the top. I don't care uh, if you're only given five minutes. You make the best of those five minutes and you make the manager play you. Ox didn't have that mentality. I know last episode I was talking about having killers in the squad and he was not a killer. He has talent and he has never been able to show that talent in a consistent fashion. So to me, to get those uh, his wages off the books, his potential wages off the books, and to pad the financial books uh, with the $40 million rumored um, transfer fee, I think is a good thing in the long run. Now to circle back on those two options that we have whether to re-sign Sanchez and Ozil and continue on the road that we're doing or start the rebuilds and that will start next summer. I am really now kind of going to the latter. I don't think that the status quo is is either healthy for the club, healthy for the fan base, and healthy for Arsene Wenger, for instance. He has invested so much of his life into the club that I think he really needs to take a look at the big picture and see what is not only the long term history or long term future of the club will be, but what the short term future will be. Because he has a year and a half left on his contract, he has always said that he's going to fulfill his contract, and I really don't see any any scenario in which he leaves or resigns before those two years are up and how bad is it actually going to get i think it's been a pretty slow digression over the last four years five years fa cups are great and i i will cherish those memories forever. i will never besmirch the fa cup no and some of my favorite arsenal memories were those fa cup victories yeah i i really love those memories and i, I wouldn't really i wouldn't change them for the world it's just those were the times he had opportunities to go at that point, and it's becoming toxic. If it was already toxic beforehand, we were already predicting before the FA Cup that all it's going to take is a bad result here or there, and the toxicity will return. Yeah. And it stems down to the manner in which that we are losing. The lack of heart being displayed by the players because... That can be coached. You can motivate. You can be a leader. You can, and this is one thing that's really grinding my gears about about Arsene is he seems to have been a little more lax in in his latter years. I can remember uh, quotes, you know, from from years past with players talking about uh, Wenger and his work ethic, talking with reverence. But now you look at anyone talking about Labas, they they really just reference, um, you know, kind of like this father-like mentality or relationship that they have with him. But what what else do they have? I don't care if if he nurtures you. I want him to to light a fire under you, to motivate you, to put in those performances that that scream. I'm I'm running. At 90%, but with your motivation and your leadership skills, I'm going to put myself to the 100%. And I don't see anyone even getting close to that. You look at the team that played uh, against Liverpool on Sunday, I wouldn't even say that there was anyone that was putting in 60% effort. Yeah, maybe 
I don't know. I think Petr Cech was quite fumed at the end of that game. But, I mean, letting in four goals, his record at Arsenal is not uh, anywhere close to being prestigious as it was at Chelsea. But I think that comes down to the defense. But If it wasn't for Cech, though, we would have lost 6-7-0. Oh, yeah. he. That's why I'm saying that. That was the half, at least the, the, the effort. But bring, bringing back to Tim Stillman's article also, you know, the idea of looking back at this time and... I think we can always romanticize the past a little bit more than than when you're living through it. But I think it's getting to the point where it can't be romanticized as much as we would like to. Because can you imagine a lot of these players still being able to talk about Arsene Wenger as that father figure in an effective manner in which the things... It's not like it's really... It's not like it's working. Or if it's working in the sense of that, you know, Arsenal are its own planet... And everything that happens at Arsenal is okay. All of a sudden, they get hot, hit by the real world when it comes down to playing big games. We've only won two big away games since 2013, I think. And that is shocking. And it, it shouldn't be accepted by the board. And we we kept talking about leadership. And I think that is going to be a common theme for most of our shows this season. Is there's not only a lack of leadership coming from the manager. But there is a supreme lack of leadership coming from the board. And specifically from Stan Kroenke. Um, he can be hands off when it comes to Arsenal. And I'm sure... Arsene really appreciates that. But you look at what he's done for his other teams. He's relocated the St. Louis Rams to L.A. He doesn't care about uh, the warm and fuzzies. He is a cold-hearted capitalist. And I fear that we are slowly turning into one of his other franchises that is just a cash cow for the owner. And it kind of feels like that heart and soul, that class that we always spoke about with such reverence, is now slowly eroding. And it's it's hard to see Arsene erode himself, both uh, physically with his health. He doesn't look a healthy man these days, even though he's he's uh, you know considered a senior. Um, he looks. 10 years older than he actually is. Yeah. Uh, just to double-check my facts, yes, those two matches, I believe, were uh, when we beat Spurs 1-0, thanks to a screamer from Thomas Rosicki, and then we beat Man City 2-0 at, uh, at the Etihad, and we ended a 12-match unbeaten run for them. And, I mean, that just seems like days gone by, without a doubt. Yeah, Stan Kroenke, I think, is is someone who is sadly not the person... We thought he could have been. I remember when we were battling with the idea of Us Usmanov or or Kroenke, and we were looking at Usmanov as this evil oligarch with the money, and and uh, he was the one who was going to do what Kroenke has done. And now he looks like it looks like Usmanov is turning his head towards Everton. Yeah, the early report that Arsblog uh, um, broke was apparently. Usmanov is trying to offload his his shares, and it looks like a Qatari investment group may be one of the more interested parties. Now, whether they will accept a role behind the scenes or will push for more uh, influence if they do end up buying his shares, who knows? This is all pure speculation. But that also goes into this cloud hovering above our club. We don't know what the future holds for the shareholders, 
We don't know what the future holds for our manager, and we don't know what the future holds to our most talented, uh, talismanic players. And it, it, it is a scary time. It's a scary time to be a gooner. It's a disappointing time to be a gooner. And you look at such hope that we had for the season coming off an FA Cup victory against our arch rivals, Chelsea. All of that hope has now been eroded. And I don't know if it can be built back this season. I think we're going to take a quick little break and take a look at some of the questions that have come our way. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. So the first question that came to us today was from Daryl Dioso, and he asks, We looked clueless, gutless, and heartless against Liverpool with Wenger signed for another two years. No significant signings coming in. Players like Sanchez wanting out. Stan only caring about his ranch and, of course, the divided fan base. What do we have to look forward to as Gooners? One thing that I'm looking forward to are answers. Answers to those questions, to those black clouds that are hanging over my our heads right now. Um, and it's sad to say that one of the things I'm looking forward to is an end to all of this uncertainty. And that is one thing that I'm holding out hope for. And the other is whatever slight chance that there is that Alexis Sanchez resigns. I know my bias is, is pretty hard. I talk about it almost every, every episode. Actually, I do think it is every episode. Um, but I've got a special relationship with him. He's been a favorite player of mine since 2007 i had the chance of meeting him during the under 20 world cup so for everyone playing uh wta bingo you can uh put that on the board but um honestly the the one thing that i'm looking forward to is is the answers the answers that the transfer deadline day will will give and finding out what happens with the ownership shakeup that could possibly be on the horizon I think the first thing that comes to my mind is the AST Supporters Trust Fund when they have their AGM. I think that usually happens around October, November. And that will be something I'm looking forward to and seeing what the the fan base has to say when they're actually face-to-face with, I believe, Arsene Wenger is there. Ivan Gazidis is definitely there, but whether or not Wenger will be at the helm at that point. I mean, not not at the helm, but... I don't think he'll be at the the supporters meeting just because of the the situation he finds himself in, which is wrong in my opinion. But um, if there's something I do look forward to is seeing w- how far we can go with this situation we're in and seeing if there actually is an answer to it because I'm finding myself more at odds with understanding what direction the club is still trying to go in. And I, that that's what I'm looking forward to, is seeing when Arsenal decide to finally pull their pants up, if they're even going to do that. Because the one thing I wouldn't want to see is Arsenal being unable to build upon whatever they've been trying to. And we're in the Europa League, and we're looking like we're going to slip out of it if we don't actually try to And how depressing would that be to get eliminated from yeah. our Europa League competition? Yes, and this is my concern about Europa, is I don't want Arsenal going into that competition thinking they're better than everyone else. 
And I think that's something that we've all felt um, just looking at some of the comments in in the groups that we're in. It's like, oh, if we don't walk through this uh, group, then there's something seriously wrong. And I think with the mental state of of the team, of the players, it's going to be a tough task when you go to these away games to Bate Borisov, to Red Star Belgrade. These teams are looking at us with mouths watering they're licking their chops they see a wounded animal and i think they're going to pounce on us and it's whether we will have the 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 mental fortitude you know the the maturity to address those issues head on i'm not confident that we will be and it's looking like a mighty mighty task that's ahead of us yeah i think we will things will be a little more stable once the transfer window closes and everything is confirmed but one thing that I do look forward to is living in a time where this conversation is past tense. And I want to remember what it was like to experience this as a supporter of a football club. And honestly, just something that helps build perspective. I think that is something really important to look at. I'm trying to see the positive of this. Well, that whole perspective thing is is good to know because the problems that we're having are good problems. And I think we should really all take a good look at at the state of our club sure we aren't at the heights that we were but the problems that we have there are many many different fan bases that would bite our hands for that and sure it's it's one way that i'm trying to take some solace in this all but the problems that we're facing are are good problems quote unquote because it will force us to have some sort of direction for the club. Yeah, and I'm I'm really wondering what it's going to take for the attitudes to change from the top down. Uh, I think Danny Fishman was an important board member back in the day, and I also think that David Dean was a very important person too at the club, someone who can instill a certain attitude, instill a certain mentality, and I'm looking forward to the days where that is reborn again and who it could come down to, whoever's in the position to do it, that's what I'm looking forward to when Arsenal can be a club that decides it wants to compete again at the highest level, knowing how to do that. And I just don't think Arsene Wenger is that man to do it anymore. And that's what I'm, I'd be intrigued to see is, is what is the change? Because the change is going to happen. Football, will it keeps on going forward. Arsenal have been stuck in fourth gear uh, for a while now. But it's not going to be, um, well, fourth gear, I guess, would be a good thing. But <laughs> I would say... We're dreaming of fourth gear right now. Yeah, and I just don't think that we're going to see this change for a long time until Arsene Wenger decides to leave. Because Arsenal still are a club that are in a great position, but it's being misused. It's being slapped around. Yeah, we've been taken advantage of, I think, by by many people. And... That is one thing that I'm looking forward to, to put a bow on this, is is to find out what type of direction we have. Mm-hmm. And that, that for me, if, if it's going to get as we are see, seeing and feeling right now, because we don't know what's to come in the next eight months, we can imagine it, of course. Um, but it's just kind of curious to know that I think the, it's, the darkest part of the night is the hour before the dawn. And I think we've had many nights, but I think we're getting closer to to something that hopefully is is a different story. Well, let's just hope that dawn isn't two years away. Yeah. Well, uh, another question we have from Chris Julian, of course. 
and he asks, so here's a question. Are the players performing at their best and just not good enough, or is Wenger not getting the most from them? And I'm just going to quickly say on this point that it's Wenger not knowing how to use them, and he wants them to figure it out on their own. And they, as we've been talking all show, it, it really comes down to giving them guidance and realizing that in this modern day and age, players, younger players, need that sort of guidance. You know, they can have all the untapped talent that they want, but if you're not giving them a game plan, if you're not going to give them an approach, how can players just figure it out, right? If you are the manager. Not many players have that special capability. You know, you look at Cesc Fabregas uh, when he came through the club at, uh, what was it, 16. Um, he was a special player, and special players left to their own devices will be able to figure things out. But how many special players do we have on this on this roster now? Not too many. And I don't see any anyone that should be left to their own devices, even our most talented players. You look at Sanchez and, and Ozil. And um, speaking of Sanchez, it kind of piggybacks onto, I wouldn't say a question. It was more of a comment that I saw from uh, one of our listeners. So if you just bear with me. All right, so speaking of Sanchez, we have more of a comment rather than a question. It came from Stuart G. McCarroll, and it's a quote from Sir Alex Ferguson with a stat that's followed by that. So the quote is, attack wins you games, defense wins you titles. And then it's followed up by a stat from whoscored.com. Alexis Sanchez has been dispossessed more times, 228, than any other player since the start of the 2015-16 season. Wow. That is a super stat. And that goes into the philosophy of what this club is. Are we going to allow certain passengers? Sure, Sanchez, his end product, has been indisputable. But at what point do you let end product affect the team and the harmony within the squad? And everyone listening understands the situation with Sanchez. And it's not looking bright. It's not looking like, we, A, he's going to resign. And it's not looking like the, the players on our squad are happy about it or happy about his role. And the fact that he has been dispossessed more times than any other player since 2016 is a red flag. And he either needs to correct that from his game or we have to move on from a player of his caliber that just doesn't fit our system. And I could say the same thing with Mezzarozzo. He is not looking like a player that fits within our system both Ozil and Sanchez are incredible world-class talents, but I feel like we've been trying to fit these square pegs in these round holes for far too long, and we will not get better until we improve as a team. And I don't think these are the players that help us gel and be a cohesive unit. Let's bring the fun back to football. That's what I would like to see again, and I have to say it's these are not fun times at all. And just to gain some sort of perspective of the whole situation, hopefully, well, I mean, there's not much hope we can really have. All we can do is take it one game at a time. And hopefully there there can be some rhythm that's built into it. Look, we, we have to say now that the league is a little bit beyond us. But with what Arsenal are supposed to stand for, 
I think it's time for for the club during this international break again to, to have a look at look at itself. But we have said this throughout the existence of the show. Uh, what is Arsenal supposed to stand for? And I think the fans have done everything that they could have, and their angst is is justified by the results on the pitch. We are now at the dawn of the final day, as I have mentioned. And I think it's time for us to really hold our breath for what... I mean, if I thought the last four days were long, imagine what the rest of the season will be like. So get ready. Hands on your hearts, my friends. But it's really going to be something we may have never really seen before. Yeah. And uh, one last question will come from loyal listener Harin Dalal. And he asks, taking no bias whatsoever into consideration, what are the chances of Wenger getting fired or completing his term? Based on first, how can Arsenal turn this around? And likely based on the second, more importantly, how can Wenger turn this around towards a successful season? Assuming our squad remains the same, I'd like to know in terms of motivation, passion, drive, team chemistry, and leadership on and off the pitch, and not just the typical responses, which may depend on the transfer and squad in hand come September 1st. Transfers no longer help the situation, and I try to think to myself, the only way that this can actually change is if Arsene Wenger says to his players, just do it for me for this little bit. If it won't come tactically, it has to come emotionally, but Arsene Wenger also has to open up his mind a little bit and try to find a way to have a solution and just say, okay, we have seen him kind of do it, but it has to be a bit more of a togetherness thing. Whoever he has left, just bring your brains together and try to find a better strategy. Study the game differently. It's too stagnant. It's too stale, and it has to come down from whoever's left. And I want to see those players that think that they're really good like Mesut Ozil, and if Sanchez is the one that ends up staying too, even if it's for the last year. Just do it from the respectability for the club and do it for the respect of the fans too. I think most importantly is the fans because without the fans, there is no club. And the disenchantment right now that is with the fan base, I think is unacceptable. I think it's disgusting that the club has allowed things to fester this, this long. And I really think it's about time that either the board take a hard look at themselves and really look at what direction they're going through. Are they going to be this cash cow? Because guess what? You can't be a cash cow if you don't have fans. It's not even about being angry anymore. It's just sad. And that's one of the worst things. You look at what your parents would say. I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. And I think I can speak for everyone when I say that our disappointment far exceeds just that word. We are not disappointed. We are not sad. We are morose. We are... We are uh, these $10 terms now, it's far beyond anything that we could actually imagine. I never thought things could get this dark, but they have gotten this dark and they've gotten this dark very quickly. And now with that transfer deadline hanging over us tomorrow, I don't see any transfer. It could be Gareth Bale coming in and I don't see him or any one or two players making a difference because the, the the problems that we have run far too deep. It goes in every single orifice of this club and and it's 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 time for change. Where is this catalyst for change coming from? We will we will hopefully soon find out, but I'm not holding my breath on time. I would rather us 
be if this is supposed to be something that's meant to happen, I'd rather have it happen now than have it happen later on in the season. I'd rather have these problems be face, faced now than at some point where we get found out for something. Because we have been found out right now for a while. And I'm sick and tired of being found out. I'm sick and tired of being embarrassed for... I would never be embarrassed for supporting the club. And I will always proudly rock the cannon on my chest. But I'm embarrassed for our fan base. I'm embarrassed uh, for being this 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 punching bag. And it, it's now no longer focused prim primarily on Premier League fans. We're getting the gears from almost every single fan base in professional sports. Yeah. So on a final note, I think if there is a solution, and call me a romantic or a hopeless romantic, but I would just love to see Arsene Wenger admit his faults to his players, sit everyone down in a way that's away from the press and all that sort of stuff, and just be earnest in trying to find a solution for what's to come for the next few months. And hopefully that can be something that motivates the players to finally do something about the situation. It comes down to them. All we can do is talk about it. But ultimately the answer comes from the club, the manager, and the players. And on that note, I would like to thank everyone for listening to episode 24. Um, it's a shorter one than what we usually are used to, but we're glad that you stayed with us for this long and we hope that you stay with us for the rest of the season and going forward. We are in this together. We win together, we lose together, and we suffer together. And I really hope for everyone's sake that the suffering ends and that we can get back to enjoying this great club of ours. And it's going to be a very interesting week. So, well... As I said already, hands in your hearts and get ready for what's to come. So this is Adam Esker signing out. Do you have any questions? Follow us on Twitter. Send an email at wethearsenal at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. We appreciate the questions. Thank you again to Daryl, Chris, and Harin. And come on, you Arsenal. And we love you, Arsenal. We do. But show us some love back, please. Until the next time. Bye for now.